Welcome to the OMR Podcast, where we go inside the minds of the biggest names in digital and tech. In today's episode, we caught up with co-founder of Dutch supermarket startup Picnic, Michael Muller. Muller spoke to OMR founder Philip Westermeyer about the challenges of selling produce online, what methods Picnic uses to drum up awareness, and why it hopes to become the digital milkman moving forward. All of that and more in the OMR Podcast. Today we are speaking with Michael Müller from Rotterdam. Yes. He is one of the founders of Picnic and Picnic is, I think, a unicorn by now. Is that correct? Is that official? Uh, it's not official, Philip, but uh, I guess with the uh, the couple of rounds that we did, uh, we should be far. <laughs> yeah, we, so, yeah. So, so like Picnic, I'm not sure. You're not active all across Germany yet. You're, I, I think, focusing on Western Germany, so not everybody yeah. m might have heard about Picnic before. We get into yeah. what Picnic exactly does, but mm -hmm. you've raised, I think, 350 million in the past yes, years. Correct. It's huge. It's probably one of the biggest startup companies coming out of the Netherlands in the past years. Um, yeah. And I think, and, and I talked to a lot of people in the industry, everybody says you have the potential to transform the grocery shopping and the, you know, the way we buy food. Yes, well, I, I of course, uh, fully agree, uh, Philip. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, it's definitely a shift that has happened over the last uh, five years. Uh, also now since two years in, uh, in Germany, where we started, of course, in Nordrhein-Westfalen. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you see is that uh, the way we deliver groceries makes it possible for everyone to do online groceries. So also the nurse and the policeman and the firemen can now do online groceries. Mm -hmm. And before, uh, it was a sort of a premium product eh, because you had the uh, delivery costs, etc. So uh, we, we, we went from a premium market to a mass market. And that means that so many people start to use it. And then you get traction and then you get more uh, brand recognition. And then you're, you're off. But I mean, like explain the concept a little bit. I mean, we have like Rewe online, we have all kinds of delivery services. I think almost yeah. we have like also in Germany, I think there's a very high density of, of um, grocery shops, supermarkets in they they're all yeah. over the place. I think no yeah. country has the same density of supermarkets that Germany has. Um, yeah. what, what's new? I mean, how come you're disrupting this so successfully? Yeah. yeah, I think uh, Germany and Holland are, are the same uh, and it's sort of the same state when we entered the country. So also in Holland, it was sort of a 1% online grocery penetration. And if you compare that to other markets like fashion or electronics or travel, all these markets are on 30, 40 or 50%. And groceries were still lagging behind with a sort of a 1%. So you have 1% on one side and 30% on the other side. Which is remarkable because why would you like to carry milk and water and, and toilet paper three times a week to your house? Uh, and, and so basically not do that online while going to a fashion store is sort of fun. But mm -hmm. still people started to do that for 30% of the market. So that was a very strange situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we did some, uh, some uh, interviews and we understood that there are two things that kept people away from online groceries. First of all, they didn't want to wait two, three hours at home for their products to arrive. Because in a grocery setting, you have to be at home. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in a fashion setting, if Zalando delivers a package, you're not at home, maybe they can drop it at the neighbor. But for groceries, of course, this is not possible because you have chilled products, you have frozen products, somebody needs to accept these products right away. So then you're sitting at home two, three hours waiting for your milk. 
So that's not very sexy. So that's one. And the second point was that people just didn't want to pay for delivery because all the other markets, fashion, electronics, travel, these markets were all broken, were all sort of going online because the online option was cheaper or at least the same price as the offline store option. Mm -hmm. And the grocery market worldwide is the only exception. It's the only market where ordering online is more expensive than going to the store because you have delivery costs. Mm -hmm. So we said, if we can avoid these two problems, so long waiting hours and delivery costs, then we have a chance to break this market. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what happened. So we developed a model where we have now all your groceries for the lowest price free to your door. So this is the first time in Western world that it's the same cost of having it delivered at your home as going to the supermarket. Mm -hmm. And that has, of course, uh, really helped us uh, take off. And what did you do before? I mean, where did you, how, how come you're like so experienced with the industry? I mean, did you have like knowledge before or were you just like outside in thinking? Yeah, we, we are with uh, four founders and uh, Frederick and Joris, who came up with the idea, they had a software business. Mm -hmm. So they developed, let's say, uh, software for the bigger web shops worldwide, uh, let's say already 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, when they uh, came up with the idea, they uh, approached me and they approached a fourth founder. Mm -hmm. And we sat together and we said, hey, listen, if this is something that we, we can really make happen, then we have a big chance also in the biggest market there is. Yeah? Because the grocery market is as big as all the other consumer markets together. Mm -hmm. So half of your free spending money in any household goes to groceries. Mm -hmm. So the, the opportunities were huge, a very low internet penetration, 1%, and the biggest market there is. So uh, with the four of us, we, uh, we studied quite a lot, and we, we made the model sort of uh, work for this. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a, a first pilot in the summer of 15, and as soon as we saw the pilot results, we said, this is going to be big, so we need to roll out as quickly as we can. But I understand that what you do differently than other delivery services for for um, for fresh foods is the logistics, right? You have like a yeah. different you have you use yeah. a little, I think what you call the milk run uh, yeah. logic, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was also the the most important thing that we tested in our in our pilot market is that if you look at let's say traditional home delivery. And then you go to a, to a company and they say, I'd like to get home delivery. And then every day you can pick, let's say, one of the 15 delivery slots. You could say 9 o'clock or 10 or 11, whatever it is. So if you have 15 delivery slots per day, and if you have six or seven days a week, then you get to 80 to 100 delivery slots per week that you can choose from as a customer. So in theory, if you live in a street street with 100 houses, then everybody could pick a different slot. So you have to go to that street 100 times that week. And uh, we came across the old model of the milkman. So what did the milkman do? They came once a day, maybe a couple of times per week, but only once a day. And they did exactly the same in terms of service because they were uh, nice at the door. They, they brought your heavy stuff. Maybe it was a bit expensive. Maybe the assortment wasn't too big. But we said, if we have that milkman model, very efficient last mile, combine it with technology, then we have sort of a best of both worlds. Then you have really your supermarket 
in your app, in your pocket, and delivering at your front door. So what it means is that for every street in the cities where we deliver, we have a fixed time slot every day. So on Monday, for your street, it will always be 3 o'clock. And for Tuesday, it will always be 7 o'clock at night. And for Wednesday, always 6 o'clock in the evening. Mm -hmm. So this means that if we drive to a street where we have three deliveries that day, we can do them in one go. And that, of course, is far more efficient than a traditional model that has three deliveries in that street that day has to come back maybe every two hours to do another delivery. This and that means... Sounds so simple. Yeah, it sounds really simple. It's not so easy to do. There's quite a lot of mathematics involved, but it's exactly what we tested in Amersfoort in our first uh, pilot city. We said to these people, listen, we've got a great offer for you, lowest price, free delivery, it's on the minute precise because we are sort of a bus. Yeah? We, we stop at always at the same time. But you cannot pick your delivery time. You just have to pick a day that suits you, where the time suits you. But you cannot pick per day a different time. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, that's great for me because I'm always at home at Tuesday at 6 o'clock because my wife always goes to the gym. Mm -hmm. So I'm at home anyhow. So fine. And if you bring it for free, well, uh, that's even better. Mm -hmm. So that's that's exactly what we tested. And in the beginning, in our pilot city, we only had three delivery slots per street per week. And now we have, of course, every day a delivery slot. And so every everyone, every household has two or three slots that, that really suits them well. Mm -hmm. And they can just pick it and then get the service. Okay. And, and where do you get the food from? I mean, now you like have revolutionized the the way the food is delivered and the logistics a little bit, but I, I, I mean, do you, do you buy like the food from the same sources probably that supermarkets buy the food from, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in, in Holland, you have a, a group of uh, regional supermarkets that have, uh, let's say, organized themselves in a sort of a buying group. Mm -hmm. yeah? So together, they all buy their volume at Coca-Cola or at Nestle or at uh, anyone else. So we, we sort of joined that group. And with that, we were able to, to buy the A brands and a lot of other products. And of course, next to that, we also have our own uh, buying. So for the meat and for the bread and, and some vegetables, we started buying ourselves. And that's, of course, growing over time. So yes, of course, you need to have products. But we were able to sort of uh, strike a deal with this uh, buying group. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the reason why you like started in Western Germany is because the proximity to the Netherlands is very good. So you could uh, like deliver into German cities from your warehouses in the Netherlands. No, 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 no. It's it's a bit more strategic than that, but not not a lot more. <laughs> it's because uh, Nordrhein-Westfalen is indeed quite close to Holland, mm -hmm. so it's sort of a two-hour drive. So that at least makes it a bit uh, manageable. Secondly, um, if you, you can also see in Holland, before we we started in Amsterdam was sort of uh, maybe the 20th or the 30th city that we opened because we want to make very clear to everybody that starts to know Picnic that this is not something for Berlin or Amsterdam or London or Paris only. This is for everybody. So it's not like you have to live in a big city and are used to all these apps that help you make your life easier. Now, this is also for the nurse and also for the policeman, because these families with a couple of kids also have busy lives. You don't need to be, uh, let's say, in, in a very cool place somewhere in a big city to have a busy life. Normal people also have busy lives. So that's exactly what we wanted. Make sure that people understand this is for everybody. 
And then the third part is, of course, that the North Rhine is uh, is fairly crowded in, in in a way that there are so many cities on a on a sort of a similar uh, surface as in Holland, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that the the picnic model works in in a sort of a city environment. And of course, uh, uh, in North Rhine-Westphalia, you have many places like that. And and what's what's the planning for the next month to come? Are we gonna like roll it out throughout Germany? Yeah, absolutely. So we started in Neuss, and then uh, we we gradually moved uh, further down to the Ruhrgebiet. So we're now in Essen and Duisburg and Mönchengladbach and Krefeld. And we just opened our second fulfillment center in Herne. So the first was one was in Viersen, mm-hmm. second one in Herne, and we're now looking into a third one to even expand further. Mm-hmm. So I think for maybe the next one or two years, we still be very busy in North Rhine-Westfalen. And uh, gradually, we're also looking at other areas in, in Germany where we can launch. And, and the good point about the picnic model is that you don't have to start on a national scale as of day one, which, of course, would also be very, very difficult to do since we have our last mile uh, very concentrated. Maybe it's good to explain. So what happens is people order online through an app. Mm-hmm. And at 10 o'clock at night, they have to finish their order so they get delivered the next day. And the next day in the morning at six or seven, then the suppliers come and deliver their products to our fulfillment center. And in those fulfillment center, we uh, we make the baskets. So we, we collect all the, the goods for every basket. And then we send these baskets to a local city. And in that city, there's a city hub. And from this city hub, we drive these little milkman tours with our electrical van. So... In Herne, we have a fulfillment center that uh, makes all these baskets for people. And then they drive uh, to, let's say, Mönchengladbach or the Krefeld. And then from Krefeld, they, they drive with these little electrical vans to the people's homes. And so it's those, just sort of a hub and spoke system. And those those uh, electrical cars that you just mentioned, um, you develop them for this purpose conc- yeah. directly, right? Yeah. Because if you look at the last mile of any business, you have sort of three key elements that that make it uh, difficult and costly. First of all is how long does it take before you get to your first address? So that's the stem time. Mm -hmm. Then you have the time that it really takes to deliver. So how much time does it take to get the groceries out of your vehicle and deliver it at the the front door? And then the third uh, uh, element is the intra-drop time so how much time does it take to go from customer a to customer b mm-hmm. now since we have such a high density that last element is, is basically zero i mean our electrical picnic vehicles they drive maybe a couple of hundred meters between two customers so that's a sort of ne- negligible and so everything comes down to how much time does it actually take to deliver the goods when you're at the people at the person's address And that's something that we optimize with our van. So our vans are not only electrical, but also very small. So most of the time you can park in front of people's homes and and other cars can still pass by. Mm -hmm. That, of course, saves time. Otherwise, you have to park at the corner of the street and then you have to walk two times 100 meters. That's one. And also these are side. um, You can can open the side with a canvas and you can get the, the crates out fairly easily. Meaning you don't have to climb inside the vehicle and start looking for your crates. It's all software engineered, software guided. So the runners, our delivery guys and girls can easily find the crates, bring them to the front door. It has already been paid. 
So literally in one or two minutes later, they're back in their little vehicle and drive to the next customer. And, how many... and that leads to, to, to a third of the last mile costs uh, versus the traditional model. How many vehicles do we have by now? Across the Today we have about a thousand vehicles. And who makes them? In, huh? Who makes them for you? Who makes them? Now we, we buy uh, the electrical part in, um, in France. And then we bring them to Holland and Germany, and there we start building sort of the uh, the rest of the uh, the vehicle uh, in order to have it completely uh, geared towards our way of delivery. And so this is not a vehicle that you can buy on the market. So also that uh, I mean, we've built the software ourselves, of course, we've built the warehouse management, the app, etc. But also starting to make a vehicle, especially for the purpose of home delivery has really given us the, um, let's say, the uh, the efficiency that we needed. Okay, well, I mean, I know this is a tricky question and, and, and you might want to dug it a little bit, but I have to like throw it at you. W what's the revenue structure? How much revenue do you have and, and how much do you have in Germany? Yeah, <laughs> so we've been uh, doubling uh, mm -hmm. uh, since we started. So in, in Holland last year, Uh, we finished with 300 million uh, run rate sales. Mm -hmm. And uh, for Germany, we'll, we won't be too, at, at that point at the end of this year, but definitely we, we will have doubled uh, since uh, 2019. Mm -hmm. So also there in Germany, it's a matter of opening new cities because as soon as you open a city, you see that there's enough demand to start opening your, your, your city hub and immediately start delivering your first orders. So for us, growing revenue is basically opening new cities. Mm -hmm. And with that, of course, with a, an important growth, uh, you will always see that the, let's say, the, the profitability uh, lags behind a bit because the growth means that you open a new city, you can maybe do 10,000 uh, orders per week in that city, but on day one, you also, you, you of course, have one order. So these city hubs need to grow in volume over time. So it takes four, five, six months to get to a certain volume. And as soon as you start opening many hubs at the same time, of course, this uh, means that your, your profitability will shift a bit further down the line. But that's exactly what we want because we want to grow since the opportunity is there and the profitability will come uh, by itself. Okay. So, I mean, listening to this, it sounds like you're, you're building here... Uh, like a multi-billion company and everybody can watch you do it in, 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 in slow motion. Um, mm. But the, the path seems seems very clear. I mean, it seems like, you know, it's you're now on a mission and the path is, is like very logical and it takes city by city and, and, and it's probably within Germany, state by state. And then, um, you know, you take the next country. Uh, yeah. Is that how you envision it for yourself? Absolutely, and that, that that's nice because city by city is a lot easier than uh, do a do a national start. Of course, that that would be impossible for our model because you need all the vehicles, you need all the trained people. You do, I mean, it's just impossible to do. So the fact that our model allows it to do it city by city is very powerful. The second thing that is really interesting is that also for let's say second tier cities, so not the Berlins and the and the Londons. It is very, very useful. And there, of course, are many more uh, second-tier cities than the, the bigger capitals. And thirdly, the, the fact that we see that this works for all households, so for families, for maybe the people that live uh, by the two of them or all of it. I mean, all households love 
uh, Love Picnic once they start using it. And the, the loyalty of customers is so high that you cannot only predict quite well how many orders you will receive next week, but it also means that your marketing cost is fairly low. Mm. Uh, so we don't need to spend 200 euros per customer before the, the, they buy the first uh, basket. It's just uh, the fact that we are there, the word of mouth, they see this electrical vehicle driving to their neighborhood. So they, they understand immediately, hey, this is something new. Uh, maybe I should give it a try. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and so how, how long does it usually take until like you just set foot into a city and the city has like broken even? Uh, about six months. So what happens is after six months, you have enough orders to, to pay, let's say, everything that's related to the city. So the deliveries at the last mile, but also the, uh, the rent of the, uh, of the local hub, of the local city hub. You've paid for the trunking yeah, so to get the baskets to that city hub. So everything is paid, inclusive marketing. Mm -hmm. And uh, from six months on, you start to contribute to the, to the rest of the costs, which is, of course, the, the fulfillment, uh, the picking the orders and, and a bit of head office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, and, and then your sweet spot is like smaller cities. I mean, that's, that's interesting. I mean, it's not like... No, the... not so much smaller, but, but uh, let's say not, not only the bigger capitals. So mm -hmm. you don't need uh, Berlin, München, and Hamburg only. No, you can do it everywhere. Uh, and if you see our biggest city and our fastest growing city is München Gladbach, mm -hmm. uh, is it a big city? Well, no. some say it's, <laughs> it's fairly big, but it's, it's the perfect city. Many people live there that work maybe inside town or a bit outside they have busy lives they love to have the grocery delivered at home and it's it's really easy to do uh, because we have the app and uh literally in two three minutes time you did your groceries and you go on uh, do do funny stuff with your life and and how many people are then like how many people do you need in a city i mean that i understand the timing but like is it like a couple hundred households or is it a couple thousand households how many do they you for for uh, let's say uh, a city hub should be able to reach let's say forty thousand households meaning that a city hub can also uh, reach more more neighborhoods more areas or smaller villages that are uh, close by but you need about forty thousand households to to have sort of a a logical minimum uh, to start a city hub. So it, this doesn't work for, let's say, the, the countryside. Uh, if you would go to to uh, to areas in Germany or in Holland where just not too many people live, it, it won't work because you can't do it for free because your density will never be sufficient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you, you need like air, cities with 40,000 and, and how many active customers do you need to have there to, to, so that it works? I mean, not all 40,000 will then be, um, I mean, you know. I mean, like, no, 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 no. Now, if you, if you see uh, what we always call our oldest city is now Amersfoort. This is sort of uh, nearly uh, four and a half years. Mm -hmm. And you see in Amersfoort, before we started, um, Uh, the 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 amount of online groceries was one percent, and now it's five percent of the total, mm -hmm. and we have four percent of that. So online groceries in these cities is already uh, our part is already uh, responsible for four percent of total supermarket sales, so including all the stores, mm -hmm. and that is an enormous shift uh, because also in Germany, if if bigger. 
let's say retail chains in supermarket world uh, get 0.1% extra market share, they call the Frankfurt Allgemeine to say that something <laughs> had happened. So if you win 4% in a couple of years time, this is of course a huge shift in demand. And uh, this will not stop because also in uh, Amersfoort, our oldest city, we still have double digit growth. So this can basically go on for a long, long time. And if you if we read, uh, let's say, the, the magazines and the newspapers about this market, then some say this will grow to t 10 or 20 or 30%. But why not? Why would you spend more time online for buying fashion than for buying, let's say, the more boring stuff like milk and apples and onions and, uh, and bread, mm. if the quality is exactly the same as you would find in the store? Okay, and, and so so like in, 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 in true revenues, what do you predict? I mean, I'm sure you're doing business planning for the company. Um, what do you think, like maybe like, let's say 2022, 2021, you think it's, it's probably going to be a billion dollar company in terms of revenue, correct? Uh, 22, maybe, yeah. If you add Holland and, and Germany together, it all depends on the speed that we can find cities and open city hubs. That's exactly the, the whole point. Mm. And so we're now looking at the third fulfillment center in Germany. And that will, of course, again, create a lot of capacity. And now we also see with uh, Corona, of course, that, that more and more people want to understand how does this work? Can I have my uh, products delivered at home? Mm. So this is also an enormous uh, push for the demand. And, uh, and what we see is that the people that tried for the first time, maybe because of Corona, of course, they start to understand, hey, is this something for me? Yes or no. So this will also help, let's say, in the longer term. And that's only, not only true for our market, but for all online markets, mm -hmm. help the online penetration. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, but I understand that like maybe Corona came like a little uh, too early for you. I mean, two years further down the road, it would have probably been even more helpful for you to have Corona, I assume. Yeah, if you, if you would have more markets open, of course. So, uh, but still, I mean, I, I think if you look at uh, at Germany and the cities that we open, what you what you uh, uh, see always happening. So people get to understand, hey, picnic is coming to Krefeld. Then they also already start downloading the app. So before we have delivered the first banana. Uh, people are already lining up in our app. And this is something that we did since the beginning because what happened is when we launched in Holland, we had four electrical vehicles. Mm -hmm. And uh, on day one, when we opened up and we got quite a lot of press, then we had 5,000 families signing up. So, of course, four vehicles and 5,000 families, that won't work. So overnight, we built a waiting list. So we said to people, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You have to, to be on a waiting list for a couple of weeks because we have to build new vehicles to, to, to get all these groceries to your homes. Mm -hmm. And that, that system of, of, uh, of waiting lists has been there ever since because with that, you can sort of manage the demand that is uh, quite substantial and deliver the correct service. So this means that if we have 10 vehicles where we can do X amount of Uh, customers if we have 20 vehicles we can do 2x and that's really nice because that means that people maybe have to wait a couple of weeks on the waiting list but at least they get the perfect service once they get in yeah? mm -hmm. because then there is capacity for them they can always order they get the best products very fresh uh, there's no food waste in the system so this is everything that they wanted and uh, so waiting a couple of weeks is, is most of the time uh, worthwhile 
<laughs> and it, it creates scarcity, right? I mean, it creates uh, the desire of the people to like, you know, be part of it because it's, it, you know, waiting and, yeah. and limiting the yeah. limiting the access usually, yeah. you know, increases the wish to to be part of it, right? Yeah, but we did we did indeed get a couple of marketing prices uh, for this for this waiting list uh, feature. But this has been something that was just created by uh, accident, but also by necessity on day one, because we just had too much demand. And the, the other thing is, if you look at Mönchengladbach, say that you can do whatever, 10,000 uh, deliveries per week. And if you uh, start on day one with a capacity of 10,000 deliveries per week, you'd, uh, you need to have 1,000 vehicles and 1,000 runners, so delivery boys and girls, etc. on day one. And we say, no, let's start with 10, and then we increase it by 20 in the next month, and then we go to 32, 42 months later. And in that way, you can increase capacity and immediately have the demand to match it, mm. which is, of course, far more efficient, and you can also start earlier. Because mm. having 100 vehicles also means that you have to train 300 runners and 300 delivery people. You, you say that like when you go to a city, it, there's word of mouth and there's almost immediate demand. But how do you trigger that? How do you get like the message out? I mean, I understand there's your, your, your vehicles driving around, but yep. uh, this sounds too easy. I mean, you have to like really drive people's attention and get the attention. What do you do beyond that? Yeah, we have uh, we, we do a couple of things. Of course, we do a bit of online advertising. Mm -hmm. So uh, Google Ads, we do uh, Facebook, uh, we do member get member. Uh, so mm -hmm. so people that uh, have picnic in other cities, they just they start posting online. Hey, if you would like to use uh, picnic in Bochum, then use this code and you get a, a bit of discount. And I, I also get a bit. So mm -hmm. it's also uh, online word of mouth. And then as soon as we start driving, people start noticing these vehicles. And since we drive in a neighborhood in a certain hour eh, because of this milkman model. So, for instance, we go to Krefeld and we drive to a certain area. We go there with 10 vehicles. So if you are in that area at that point in time when Picnic is delivering, you see a lot of vehicles drive around. So it really, uh, uh, let's say, catches your attention. And that means that you start... Uh, looking for this brand, what are they doing, then you hear your neighbor talking about it. So it's also a lot of, let's say, stable growth because of that. And that helps enormously because the marketing cost is, is really very low. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so that you don't do any like um, out-of-home advertising, you don't sponsor yeah. something, you don't. You do a lot of PR in the, in the regional press, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. Sometimes we do something with the local football club, or uh, we're now starting in Dusseldorf, and we do something with the uh, the food bank, mm -hmm. and we do something with uh, uh, local uh, entrepreneurs. But it's all very local, and that's something that we would love to keep. Mm -hmm. Is that picnic is really something for your neighborhood? It's it's your picnic coming to Mönchengladbach or to Krefeld or to. To Bochum, it's not this big American brand uh, coming to your your country. No, we are local. Uh, the people that drive our little vans are also local people, and uh, so so it's sort of something that that comes to your place and it really reminds you of the milkman, uh, the kind person that that helps you with your groceries. And is this picnic the name mean the same in Dutch as it means in in, in German? Do you know that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, as in English. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's that's yeah. why you found it, right? I mean, it's picnic. It's yeah. like you go out and yeah. friends and, and sit in some, some, yeah, some field. Well, we, and... We, yeah, we, we were looking for a name that needed to fit into a square logo. Because if you go online, very long names uh, are not very helpful. If you have an app, you need to have a square logo. And we needed to find something that people could remember, but also sort of gave them the impression, hey, this is something about fun sitting on a uh, in, in the in the park with my family having something to eat and then uh, picking those groceries at the same time sort of, sort of that sort of happy feeling about the name and did you tr and, you try uh, to make it more or you I, i think you try to build the, my perception at least of what i hear is that you try to hmm. build the brand like almost into a love brand not only the name but also like i think before the first purchase there's already a banana in your basket and these kind of things <laughs> yeah. is that true Yeah, that's true that we call Wachtespaß. Uh, so if you have to wait uh, on the waiting list for a couple of weeks, that's not very nice. So we say to you, listen, uh, you've got to wait because we're now building a couple of new vans so we can let you in. But please, uh, um, uh, we have something in your basket every week for free. So bananas or milk or whatever it is. And then as soon as you order your first order, these products will be, be in your first basket for free. Are there any uh, other so to, any other gimmicks or like features like that that you came up with, like the, the waiting list, the milk run, um, the Wartespaß, any other like the local approach, uh, the love brand approach, anything else that you think is, is, is very uh, like important to the model? No, I think uh, definitely. I think that the fact that we have been really, really very strict on having this three-minute maximum time that you need to order. And so that's why we also started only with an app. And so you cannot download it on desktop or something. So you only have an app. And this means that when you're in public transport or you're waiting somewhere for a bus to arrive or whatever it is, you can do your groceries everywhere. And that's also what you see, and that's also something we introduced, a sort of a, a family account. So uh, more people of the same family can order in the same basket. And this, of course, also funny because now the, 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 the son of 16 years old doesn't complain to his parents, hey, my toothpaste is, uh, is uh, out of stock. No, they say you, had to, you should have ordered it. So it's also a way of sort of creating the, the family uh, experience inside the app. And we are improving every day. Uh, we're changing navigation. We, we, we're working on the photography. We're working on, uh, let's say, the way we describe the articles. And I think that's very powerful in the picnic as a company is that since we built all the software ourselves, eh, like we talked about, we also even build our own vehicles. This means that every day we can improve it with, with half a percent. Because if we have an idea, we can uh, implement it, test it, and if it works, we just uh, wrote it out. And that is very powerful because that means that over time, you get more and more features inside. You make the product better every day. And uh, this is, of course, uh, something that is typical maybe for a tech company. But in the market where we are, there are so many traditional companies that are having the, let's say, the uh, the market share and the power in that market, it's difficult for them to, to replicate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. How old are you? How is the team? I mean, it sounds like you could be doing this like Jeff Bezos for the next 20, 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> the founders are extremely old because they're all 50. 
and uh, our average age is 27. So uh, this is, of course, a huge uh, problem for us as uh, older founders because uh, so when there's a Friday drink at the bar, we just have to compensate by drinking that extra beer. And, and what, what, this is, uh, what did you do before? I mean, I understand that two of your co-founders were had, had like a, a software company, but what did you yeah. do? I was an entrepreneur before this, so I had two uh, other companies where I was involved in. One was... Uh, a chain of unmanned service stations, so selling gasoline and diesel to, uh, to uh, car owners. Mm -hmm. And the other one was a, um, a road assistance company. So in Germany, of course, you have ADAC, mm -hmm. and in Holland, you have ANWB, sort of similar companies, sort of monopolists. And we put uh, uh, a competitor to them in the market. And those two companies have similarities with Picnic because basically what you see is that you have a market that is quite well organized. Uh, you have a couple of big companies that uh, sort of divide the market and maybe the, the, the level of innovation is not that high. And then, if, then you have a young company with a white sheet of paper saying, okay, let's do everything completely new with the newest technology, with the latest insights on customer behavior and globalization, etc. How would that market look like now? And that's exactly what we did with Picnic, just completely redesigned it. You want to get groceries at home with all the technologies there that is there today. How can you make that more easily than go to the supermarket yourself? And, and that's, uh, that's, that's the same that happened to the other markets where I was uh, launching a brand in. It's now also happening with Picnic. It, but it sounds like, I mean, those were two big markets that you operated in and that you built the companies in, and then you sold them. It, so it sounds like before you started Picnic, you would have had the option to just lay on the beach until you die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't sound too interesting, does it? No, no, no. I mean, I, I would also argue <laughs> building picnic is a better thing to do. But, but uh, no, it sounds absolutely. like you were like already, already like you got rid of the most concerning troubles in life, and the most uh, you didn't yeah, need to worry with that much anymore. I think the uh, after we we sold our second company, we also invested quite a lot in in young startups. So uh, always internet space uh, startups, and and we love doing it, but. It, I missed a bit the, the dynamism of doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. So when yours and Frederik gave me a call and, and talked about their plans, I said, well, listen, guys, uh, this is exactly what, I, what I'm looking for to really, again, jump into this uh, deep swimming pool and try and see if we can make this happen. And since this was not only a very good idea, but also a huge market, Uh, this, has, this has created so many challenges and, and I would always say uh, so far so good. Uh, we, we've managed to do quite a lot of the things that we've planned for and, um, and that's also something very nice when you start a new business. There's so many companies coming your way since you come into a new area and there you see creating partnerships is very valuable. Who, who's more of a competitor to you in the future? The The, the supermarket chains or Amazon Fresh or Amazon in general? No, I wouldn't say Amazon in general, but in general, technology companies are, of course, uh, a, a more, uh, let's say, a competitor that you, that you, that's more difficult to fight because the, uh, the traditional supermarkets, they have their own real estate. They have all their rental contracts. They have all the structure in place 
to do offline groceries. And they're very successful. It's a fantastic model. But switching from stores to online is not easy to do and will take many, many, many years for them. So if there's somebody else that has a more tech background and understands technology and also maybe look at new ways of doing this, that, that, that could probably be a bigger competitor. Now, for, for Amazon specifically, Amazon, of course, has been trying with Amazon Fresh now for quite a long while. So far, not with a lot of success. And uh, this relates a bit to the fact that they are used to ship parcels. Uh, so you buy something, uh, electronic device, and then they ship it to you. That's fairly easy because you can use the, the, the FedEx and the DHL type of, of, of networks. But for groceries, it's completely different. I mean, you can try and send via DHL uh, your, your, your fresh pizzas, etc. But it's not easy. The network is not made for it. So either your service level is too low, uh, maybe the quality of the product is not good. The packaging will be enormous just to keep it cool and keep it uh, uh, unscratched. So um, it's not easy for them. And, and now you also see them pulling out of a couple of markets in the US. So groceries and parcels is just a different world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but of course, we won't be the only one who's going to try this. I mean, do you look at German companies such as uh, Flash and Post or Durst Express and these kind of companies? Yeah, I think also Flash and Post has more a tech background. If you look at Bofrost, that has also been there for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Sort of a niche niche product range, but uh, apparently they're still there. Mm -hmm. Flash and Post is more, it's more like a bit more technology driven. But those are the companies that are, are also creating their own market. And uh, groceries, of course, is, is difficult because you have fresh products, you have three temperature zones. And to do that the way we do it, on the minute precise and free delivery, that's fairly big challenge to, to copy that. So, um, of course, some people will try, which is great because more, more market going online is always good. But it's not easy to do uh, if you don't have a good plan and a proper tech team. And do you think that, that Amazon Fresh might not even be around in the next couple of years? I wouldn't be too surprised if they would keep on uh, struggling with this. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at the, the sustainability part of our business, uh, the way we structured Picnic with the uh, electrified soy, uh, with the uh, zero uh, food waste, uh, because we only order the products with our suppliers, if we know somebody has bought them. Mm. Yeah, so we have no food waste, which is of course in the in the retail uh, uh, supply chain, a big issue. And if you also see that we do on the minute precise with very complete baskets, this is something that's not so easy to do. And I think uh, Amazon Fresh or for Amazon has maybe other opportunities or other markets that they are better at to, to focus on. So I'm not too sure if they will put everything on um, On fresh groceries and do you, and, and uh, what do you think about those classic supermarkets i mean there's chains behind them mostly and they i mean uh, the structure is different i mean the, mostly those markets are owned by you know by by, by like a local hero who, who has like two mm -hmm. or three markets but yeah. uh, so, so does, does that model keep them from from really competing with you no i think the, the fact that you use the term local hero i like that very much because in retail, in, in let's say in the store world, all local heroes will survive. Of course, online is not going to be 100% of the market. Supermarkets will always be there. Fashion stores will always be there because it serves a purpose. 
But you need to be a local hero and really care for your customers and really deliver great products. Then you're safe. But if you have a sort of a B quality operation over the last 10 or 20 years, well, you didn't matter too much because you had a very profitable model. Uh, it didn't uh, take too much effort. And uh, so the business was going by itself. Then you are, or you could be in trouble uh, once uh, the internet or, or, or tech companies hit your market because then you're not ready. And then customers will just try something else because you haven't served them uh, the quality that they needed. Do you have a lot of churn? I mean, like people that have used Picnic, are they like all staying with it? Or is there people like that try and, and do it for half a year and then go back? I mean, I would believe, you know, you never, once you've on it, you, you never go back. But is that true? Now, uh, the fact that uh, your, your example of peeping try, uh, people using it for six months and then going away, we do not have. So what happens is we have three very important moments in the life of a picnic customer. First, of course, is the first order. So you put yourself to it, you download the app, and you try it for the first time. Then the second order. So apparently the first time was okay. And then we go to the fifth or the sixth order because if you're still there and you have done six orders, you will never go away again. And that's something that you can see in our charts. Uh, so if you look at the numbers and at the charts, you see that people, of course, they try it and maybe somebody says, well, I don't like it or it doesn't fit my schedule or whatever it is. Uh, uh, but as soon as you've tried it for five, six times, you start to understand the app very well. You start to understand how the milkman run is. You see that the Tuesday is always a perfect day for you. Then you get into this habit creation mode and you just never go away again. And this is really important because we see with the, uh, let's say the, the, the cities that are now four or five years with us, that you see the first customers are still there. That first chunk that use it for a couple of times is still there. So over time, you build layer after layer a very loyal group. So you will never see somebody leaving after six months. Yeah, maybe because they, they move to a city where we don't deliver, but they always stay around. And that's very powerful because then you know exactly what to expect. You can do your capacity planning on that and you also have your, let's say, your um your plans for the future you can base on that because they your 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 customer base is very very solid and and do you like do something specific from a marketing perspective from a customer care perspective within like at those one two five touch points uh, where you like make sure that those touch points or that those deliveries are really working out the best possible since they're so important yeah so so um, what we did uh, in the beginning, also, when we launched in Germany, we had a couple of months of testing. So we didn't use the Picnic brand. We used the Sprinter brand, or sort of wide vehicles. And then we invited people and families to come to a hotel or to a uh, to restaurant to talk with us and to become our pilot customers. And what we wanted to do is to understand how do customers react to this? What would they like to see in the app? Do they understand the app? What are their questions? And then you get a lot of things that you could improve upon, uh, maybe uh, the way you collect deposit, uh, your, your empty bottles, etc. the way you use the bags, the way you uh, allow for payments. So you make something that customers really want and understand. And that's something that we've been doing so far. So as soon as you have a problem with your product, 
you get to an agent uh, via maybe the, the, the app itself, or you can give them a call or send them an email. Well, most people just use the app tools to communicate with our customer success department. And it's solved right away. Even our runners, our delivery guys and girls at the door, they are trained to solve an issue immediately while standing at the door. So if somebody says, hey, I didn't order a cucumber, I see a cucumber in my, uh, in my basket, then they immediately credit the, the person. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, extremely powerful, especially in the beginning when this is all very new. You just want to understand how this works. And we're now introducing something uh, really cool that in the app, after you had your delivery and, and the runner is already uh, off to his second customer and you find something that maybe uh, is a problem or you got two products instead of one or whatever it is, then you can immediately in the app organize it yourself. So you don't have to app somebody or call somebody or mail somebody. It's just you can do it yourself. So if you say, hey, this banana, I didn't like it because it was too green or too brown or whatever it is, you just swipe it and you get your money back. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yep. Okay. Isn't that too risky that people will be like, uh, just, you know, uh, cheating you? No. My experience is, and, and uh, I guess also yours, is that 99.99% of the people can be trusted. Okay. And if you talk about uh, a love brand or at least a brand that is very helpful and helps you and takes you seriously, it's not a brand that you're going to cheat for one banana. Okay. Okay. And also, this is also where data, of course, comes in because if you see that a certain person always has troubles with his banana and nobody else in the street, yeah, <laughs> of uh, course, uh, also uh, something must be wrong. Uh, Maybe we should uh, get a better understanding what the perfect banana for this person is. Like you, you mentioned the app quite a bit, and I you, you said a couple of minutes ago that people uh, that did you have made the conscious decision not to have a website that people can order from. I mean, yeah. I imagine like the discussion like I would have in many other companies, people would say, look, not having a website to order from is, is, is killing conversion. It's reducing uh, yeah. our potential. You must have had the same discussion. And then yeah. you said, look, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice all these revenues and all these orders yeah. that we don't get yeah. just in order yeah. to have the app. Of course, in the beginning, we said, hey, listen, we need to, we need an app for sure, and then we will make the desktop a bit later. But when we saw that so many people, also, let's say, not the people of 25, but a bit older, were using the app so easily, we thought now we should not open a, uh, a desktop version because now 100% of our customers are mobile. So we now have an app-only supermarket. Well, most companies, of course, they report to their shareholders or to their uh, stakeholders that, listen, we now have 40% via mobile. We have 100%. So it's a perfect situation. You only have to develop on one platform. You only have to maintain one platform. And people always have their grocery list in their pocket because their telephone is always nearby. So if they think, ah, I shouldn't forget to, to buy peanut butter, so they just put it in the app and then they go on with their lives. So this has brought so much to us that we will never, ever open up a desktop version. <laughs> Although maybe it will generate five or ten percent extra volume now, but in the end, it's not a good idea. Okay, okay. Uh, who are your investors? Who are the people that gave you money over the years? Yeah, so uh, of course, in the beginning, uh, we as founders invested, and then from around one, 
two and three, we have a couple of uh, family offices in Holland. So the bigger entrepreneurial families that have been there for uh, 50 to 100 years. Mm-hmm. And they are our investors in our company. And this is very nice because they have a long-term vision. Um, they're not here for the for the quick uh, quick buck, and they also add value to our strategic thoughts. They they understand business. They they have their own businesses from their own families. So that's really something a group that we treasure, and uh, that works really well so far. And every time when we had a new growth story and we needed maybe a bit of financing, they joined. Um, the, the same group joined uh, to uh, to uh, deliver the financing. So, the, so there's no U.S. Um, private equity or venture capital or anything. Nothing. And but I'm I'm assuming they, they they call you all the time and would like to be in the cap table. Yeah, and of course, and we are very open. So we we do invite people to come over and have a talk, and we love to explain what we're trying to do. And it is interesting to understand how they are looking at it. Uh, but so far, we said in this phase, when we are still uh, growing, where we're still developing new markets, it is uh, very uh, valuable to have the same investors on board and uh, and and then create the trust for them also to keep investing. And so far, they've been doing so. And so, in the last round of September last year. We did a 250 million round to invest, uh, among other things, in a automated fulfillment center. So that's where we will uh, drive uh, technology and automation a lot further than today and building a, an automated fulfillment center, which means, of course, more efficiency, but also more capacity. So more orders can come out of this center. But this is new technology, and they invested in that because they now are sort of let's say, confident that we as a team and the tech team can deliver these difficult products. And uh, so they're more than happy to invest. And, and you have like across the whole company, you have like almost a thousand people now working for you, right? In Holland, uh, a bit more than 5,000. And in Germany, yes, uh, about 1,000. Okay, so, okay, so altogether yeah. it's 6,000 6, and yeah. almost, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And, and, and you invested a couple of millions yourself? Yeah, so all the founders, of course, uh, spent time and money. And then we did a Series A when we launched, uh, so the first city. And then I think it was February 17. So that was uh, uh, a bit less than two years later, we did a 100 million round. And then again, a bit more than two years later, we did the 250 round. Okay, okay. So, and, but you, you still own like double digit shares of the company yes 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 absolutely whoa i mean that's that's quite helpful <laughs> yeah yeah with the uh, with the four of us eh? so uh, yeah okay yeah. Hey, so so what we did is uh, we managed to to also convince our shareholders to uh, our investors to understand that this is not something that you will start on uh, Friday afternoon and, and close on Monday morning. This is a 10-year business plan with an enormous potential. Mm. And if we're able to deliver on all these uh, all these milestones, then they know what's coming. So there, there's a lot of, uh, let's say, benefits still coming uh, our way uh, as, as long as we keep on hitting those milestones. And so far, so good. Can you can you imagine going IPO anytime soon? 
Yeah, no, soon, uh, not soon, but uh, sure. I mean, why not? I mean, we're not looking at it at all. Mm. Um, we're happy with the way it is. There's still so many things that we can do. If you look at the the model itself that we improve every time, but also the whole supply chain before products get to our fulfillment centers. So in terms of packaging, in terms of efficiencies, in terms of the way you can work together with suppliers, I mean, there's still so much more to to discover that uh, we love doing this for, for quite a while still. All right. Whoa. Um, interesting story. I mean, it's it's probably like one of the next major unicorns coming out of Europe, I would assume. If not, I mean, if not already, I mean, maybe it's a unicorn already. I assume it's, it's going to grow. It's, I mean, maybe... Um, a unicorn a couple of times over um, in the next years. Um, I'm really happy to you, you took the time and, and, and told us about it, even though many uh, listeners might not even have the chance to use the service yet, <laughs> but they will soon. Uh, yeah, and, you know, it might be fun for everybody listening to, to follow your journey and, and see how you're building it. And I, I, I would personally bet that this is a story that is going to be around for, for a long time. Um, and it's, it's, it's fun to watch you guys grow. Um, so thank you very much for, for joining. Well, thanks a lot, Philip. And really nice that Omar took the, uh, the time also to, to, to dig into this one. And uh, we're more than happy to share uh, a bit more down the line. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye-bye.